All right, well, how are we? Great, that's good. A couple greats, a couple goods, that's good. Um, you know, public speaking 101, I remember learning this uh, all the way back in high school. They said, uh, a good communicator should start out and, and, and have something that engages the, the congregation or engages the audience in the very beginning. You know, sometimes it's a story, sometimes it's a joke. So I don't know what this one is, but I'm going to tell you this because I've been thinking about it. How many of you guys have been watching the Olympics? Anybody been watching the Olympics? Now, you know, my wife and I, we actually have not watched the Olympics in the last, I, I, ever since we got married, like 50 years ago, something like that. And uh, 12, 12, I do know that. It is 12, right? Okay. And, uh, and we haven't watched the Olympics in a long time. So we're watching the Olympics, okay? And, and, and this is just, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> you put up with the figure skating, right? Men, you just put up, I mean, Nate's a little different, but I mean, men, we just put up with the figure skating. <laughs> but we're watching this this past week, and uh, you watch the skeleton thing? I mean, that's an Olympic event? Who decides that? I mean, that's just laying down on a sled and going down the hill. And the funny thing is you watch these commentators watching these, these, these people on the sled. They're just laying down, and, and they're like, did you see that? She dragged her foot. She dragged her foot. Well, it's just, okay, maybe, maybe this is just me, but I'm, I'm watching this and saying, how does this become an Olympic event? I mean, that's kind of like, man, my kids could do that, you know? Anyways, I hope you're enjoying the Olympics. Go America. I'm having fun watching them, and uh, uh, we're going to get started this morning. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. If uh, you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, we've got an usher in the back. Uh, Mike, he will, if you just put your hand up, he'd love to be able to give you a Bible. As we have studied through 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, we've seen that, that, that this is a letter from Paul writing to Timothy. And, and his message is first and foremost, his message is, Timothy, you are to guard the gospel. Timothy, you're to celebrate the gospel. Timothy, you are to fight for the gospel. You're to fight for the gospel in your lives. You're to fight for the gospel in the church. Really the foundation for what Paul is writing in 1 Timothy is all about the gospel. That is the foundation for the entire letter. Everything else in the, in the church in Ephesus, everything else that Paul or that Timothy is going to do as a pastor, it, it is built on the foundation of the gospel. So now as we move to chapter 2 and we look forward to the rest of the book, with the gospel as a foundation, Paul is going to give some specific direction as to how the church should function and how the church should operate. These are some instructions as how Timothy is supposed to organize and how Timothy is supposed to lead the church. And so today we'll see, uh, we'll see one of the specific functions of the church and we'll learn uh, really what we are supposed to be about so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. And it says this. It says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. 
I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. And that is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity to come together. We thank you for your word that we can open up the Bible and that, God, you would speak to us through it. God, as as Timothy is a letter uh, that Paul wrote to Timothy, God, I pray that we'll also understand that this is a letter to us, that you are speaking to each and every one of us today. God, I pray as we look at this passage that you would open our hearts and open our minds and open our eyes, that you would give us understanding as to what it is you want to teach every one of us in here today. God, you gave the promise that your word would not return void. And God, I'm praying for that today. I pray that I would step out of the way and let you speak. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So starting out on verse 1, what we're going to see is in verse 1, Paul lays out a very important instruction on the church. His first instruction, his first charge to Timothy is the organization of the church. He says this. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. What Paul is saying, he's saying, first things first, the church is to be a people of prayer. The first thing, first things first, the church is to be a people of prayer. Paul is telling Timothy, and, and by way of Timothy, he's telling us that we as a church, we should be a people of prayer. Now, sometimes I know in our lives, prayer almost seems like an afterthought. I mean, as we live our lives, we're going around, we've got a decision to make, we make our decision, and then we stop and say, oh wait, I probably should pray about this first. And so then we stop and we pray and say, hey God, here's the problem, here's the decision I've made, God, and I feel like I'm supposed to ask you about it, so God, here's my prayer. Or once in a while, this is what it looks like in my house, where we sit down to eat lunch, and, and everybody's halfway done through the lunch, and then somebody says, hey, did we pray before we eat? And luckily, nobody choked on their food during the first half of lunch, and so we stop right then, and we pray, and it almost seems that sometimes prayer becomes an afterthought in most of our lives. It's true in my life. There's times that prayer becomes an afterthought. See, what I want us to realize is it is an honor for us to be able to pray to God. It is an absolute honor that we have the ability to come before God and say, God, would you intervene in history? God, would you intervene in my life? I mean, the fact that God loves us enough, the fact that God cares enough that he listens and he answers our prayers, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that this great big God cares about the details of our lives? And it is an honor that we have to go before God and say, God, can I talk to you? God, can I, could, could you step in and give me a hand? See, it's an honor that we get to be a people of prayer. And as Paul is, is writing this, he uses four different words to describe prayer. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, the first word is supplications. This means requests. This means that if we have needs, if we have requests, that we can actually bring them to God. I mean, if you have a need, you can ask God for that need. You've got, you've got health issues. You know what? You can go to God and ask God to take care of those health issues. You've got kid issues. If you've got kids, you've got kid issues. I mean, that's just the way it works. You know, we have the ability to go before God and say, God, 
Here's what I'm dealing with with my kids. God, would you do something in the middle of this? I mean, I mean, these are things that we can be praying about. Our car breaking down, our, our marriage struggling, people looking for work. These are all needs that we can go before God and we can make these requests be known to God. God, here's what I need. God, here's what I'm dealing with. God, would you intervene? You know, what I found, what I found to be the easiest way to start a conversation about God the easiest way to start a conversation about God is to ask somebody if you can pray for them. You see, everybody has needs. Everybody has needs. I mean, I, I talked a, a few months ago about how there's a couple of things I'm always looking for with people. Because when one of these things comes up, you have an opportunity to say, hey, can I pray for you? I mean, the, re- the reality is relationships struggle. People die. Things break. When any of these three things happen, when any of these things happen, it's an opportunity to say, hey, can I pray for you? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if they're necessarily a Christian or not, because most people, hey, they get the idea of prayer. They want God's help in their life. And so when they have these issues going on in their life, simple question, hey, can I pray for you? And you know, the, the cool thing is that sometimes people, they say, yeah, I'd love for you to pray for me. Because no, th- there's a couple reasons why they want you to pray for them. You know, number one, they think, well, I don't even know who I'm really praying to. I mean, I I know there's some idea of God, but I don't really know that God personally. So, yes, would you pray to God for me? Sometimes people don't want to pray to God because they don't think that they deserve to be listened. They say, you know, God couldn't listen to me. I'm too bad of a person. God God knows what I've done, so, so I can't pray, but you can go ahead and pray for me. I mean, when people have needs... We're to be a people of prayer. We're to be praying for people. We're to be praying. And I tell you, when you hear people, you say, well, you know, how do I share my faith? You know how you share your faith? You listen to people talk about needs. And you say, can I pray for you? Because I have a God who can handle that. That's the easiest way to do it. He goes on and he says, he says, uh, uh, the second one he uses is, he says, first of all, I urge supplications and then prayers. See, this is what Paul just calls prayers. This is a a general word here. Usually, this word prayers refers to acknowledging something about God. So so he's saying we're to acknowledge who God is in our prayer. This is thanking God that he's loving. This is thanking God that he's merciful. This is thanking God that he is kind and he's patient and he's benevolent. I mean, this is where we acknowledge, God, this is who you are, and I'm thankful for that. The third word he uses is intercessions. Intercessions, this is where we have the opportunity to plead before God on somebody else's behalf. This is where we look at our community. This is where we look at our family. This is where we look at the places where God has placed us. And we see people who are hurting. We see people who are broken. We see people who are far from God. And we plead on God's behalf for them. That's called intercessory prayer. And we look and we say, you know what? I need to have an accessory prayer for my family, for my neighbors, for, for, for my spouse. And the fourth word that Paul uses is thanksgivings. See, prayer is not just about asking God for things for us. It's also recognizing that God does show up in our lives. And, and, and that there is much there for us to be thankful for. So Paul says we're to be a people of prayer. And, and notice, is, notice who it is we're supposed to be praying for. He says, he says I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. See, Paul says we are to be praying 
for all people. He's not meaning that we're to be praying for every individual uh, across the face of the earth. But it is the idea that we are to be praying for all types of people. See, Paul's writing to this letter to Timothy. He's writing to this letter in the church of Ephesus. And in the church of Ephesus, you've got some people who were, who were Jewish Christians. You've got others who were Gentile Christians. And it really wasn't supposed to matter. Paul says, I want you to be praying for all the people. But one of the commentaries I read this week um, explained why this was so significant for, for Timothy and why this was so significant for the church at Ephesus. See, one of the groups of false teachers that had risen up within this church at Ephesus were these Gnostic heretics who were claiming that salvation was only for a limited group of elite religious people. Salvation wasn't for everybody. Salvation was only for certain people if they met the criteria. You had to be the right ethnicity, or you had to come from the right kind of family, or you had to have the right class in society. And that was the only people who God's salvation really counted for. And, and Paul is, is, is disarming that foolish idea. He's saying that we are to be praying not just for specific people, but we're to be praying for all people, for all different kinds of people. He's saying pray for Jews, pray for Gentiles, pray for the rich, pray for the poor, pray for the upper class, pray for the lower class, pray for the no class. He says pray for all the people. See, this challenge is for us because we're to be praying for all people. We look at the Yakima Valley. The Yakima Valley is a diverse valley. And we, as a church, we should be praying for, for the whites and the Hispanics and the African Americans and the Chinese and every other nationality and even those weird countries in the Olympics that you've never heard from. We're supposed to be praying for those people. And we're to be praying for the upper class and the middle class and the low class. We're to be praying for, for the religious people and the non-religious people. We're to be praying for the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists. And Paul is stressing that there should be a diversity in, in our praying to embrace all kinds of people through our prayers. Paul says, continues in verse 2 and says who else we should pray for. He says to pray for, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. See, these are the leaders. These are the politicians. These are the business people. People that are highly influential. And because of their influence, they oftentimes, in many ways, they make decisions that impact and have implications on the rest of us. I mean, I mean, think about this. Think about all the leaders and, and their decisions, that what they do have implications that affect all the rest of us. And because of that, it says we are to pray for them. See, this is actually pretty fascinating that Paul wrote this. Because the leader of their day was a guy by the name of Nero. Nero was a Roman emperor who viciously persecuted Christians. This was not the guy that any Christian would want to pray for. This would be the equivalent of asking the Jews to pray for Adolf Hitler during the Holocaust. I mean, this was a pretty significant thing. I mean, I mean uh, the story of Nero was that Nero would take Christians and he would throw them into the Colosseum as gladiators and let them get eaten by wild animals as thousands of people looked on. There's another story of Nero where it was his birthday and he, he took a he took hundred Christians and he dipped them in tar. And then he stuck them through a pole and he lit them on fire. And they became his long-lasting torches throughout the night. I mean, this is Nero. 
And Paul says to be praying for the leaders. And I'd be saying, yeah, I'll pray for him. I'll pray that he gets hit by lightning. I mean, that's the kind of prayer that we would make for this guy. But Paul, who's writing this, he knows that he himself, he knows he was this kind of a man. He knows that he was a religious leader and he was a murderer of Christians. And now he's a pastor. See, you never know who God loves. You never know what God's going to do in somebody's life. You never know who God might change. God took Paul, who was a murderer, and turned him into a pastor. Turned him into the greatest missionary that ever lived. You never know what God's going to do in somebody's life. You never know who God might save. You never know whose heart God would turn to him. Really, the command is clear that we are to pray as a church for leaders in high positions. When was the last time you prayed for President Obama? When was the last time that you prayed for Vice President Biden? Now, I know most of you watch Fox News, and you sit there and you become angry at some of the policies that our politicians make. It's true. But what if we spent that same amount of time praying for our leaders instead of criticizing them? What if we took all the time that we criticize our president and we actually prayed for him? What kind of difference do you think that would make? Where instead of offering all the criticism, we said, you know, God, I'm going to go before you on behalf of our leaders. To pray for the city council. To pray for, for Governor Inslee. We are commanded to pray for our leaders like this. To pray for leaders in high positions because they have implications on all of our lives. So the question I have to ask now is if God's desire is that we are to pray. If God's desire for us, is that we are to pray for all people, for, for, for poor and rich and black and brown and white and evil people and good people and, and leaders. The question is, why should we pray for them? Why is it God's desire that we pray for all the people? See, there's a specific theological motivation that Paul has, and he wants us to see as to why we pray. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul writes and says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. See, we are to be a people of prayer because God desires the salvation of all people. See, what happens is when we pray for people to come into a knowledge of the truth, we pray for people to be saved, to experience salvation. What happens is our heart becomes in line with God's heart. I mean, this whole passage, this is really what it's about. This whole passage. This is one of the most evangelistic and and, and, and missional passages in the entire Bible. Paul is saying that, that you pray for people and you pray for their salvation. And somehow, in some way, we learn from this passage that somehow our praying has a direct effect on the progress of the gospel throughout the world. As we pray for the salvation of people, somehow our prayers are intertwined with the gospel in the world. I mean, how different would our prayer lives be if we, if we would just understand what Paul is saying here? See, God desires all kinds of people to be saved. Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor and Democrats and Republicans. I mean, those in the Yakima County Jail and those in the Yakima Country Club. Uh, those, uh, those in your work office and those in your school and those in the flatlands of central Mexico and those in Ethiopia and even those in, in, in Russia, in Sochi at the Olympics. That is God's heart that all people would be saved. I mean, when you pray, 
like this for the salvation of all kinds of different people. You pray in light of the heart of God. It, it, is, it is when we pray for the salvation of all people, our heart becomes in line with God's own heart. And it says that it is pleasing to God, the Savior who desires all, all of their salvation. Let me throw this caution out. As you read this verse, don't read into this passage that it says all people will be saved. This isn't universalism. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that God loves the world. God is forgiving sin. God is pursuing people. And sometimes it's quick and easy for us to forget that. It's important for us to know that God loves Yakima. God loves everybody in Yakima. Does that mean everybody in Yakima is going to go to heaven? No. Some will, many will reject him. Many will reject Jesus. And they will find themselves spending hell in eternity. Spending eternity in hell. Do you realize what's at stake? Heaven and hell. Hell is a real place. We don't like to talk about that. It's not politically correct. But hell is a real place. And eternity is a real time. That will never end. Those who reject Christ, there will be a real and literal hell that they will spend eternity in. That's not God's heart. God doesn't want anyone to go through there. God desires the salvation of all people. And this is Paul's admonition to the church. He's saying, do you have a heart like God? Do you desire all people to be saved? Do you have a heart for the city of Yakima? Do you have a heart for the people of Yakima to be saved? Does it bother you that there are thousands and thousands of people around us who are bound for hell unless they come into a knowledge of the truth? Does that bother anybody in here? Jesus stood over Jerusalem and he wept, praying for the salvation of that city. What does it look like for us to care that much about our city? To care that much about our neighbors? To care that much about the people of Yakima? That we would weep for their salvation. How, how I pray that God would give us that kind of heart to see people meet Jesus. That we would have that kind of love for the city in which God has placed each and every one of us. See, do you know we're already making plans for Easter Sunday? Easter is still more than two months away. But we are already beginning now to make plans for that. Because reality is, Easter is the one Sunday that people will go to church. There will be more people at church on Easter Sunday than any other Sunday throughout the year. And you, and you know what that means for us? How are we preparing for that? What are we going to do? I think about the city of Yakima, and I think, you know, this is God's desire. God's desire is the city of Yakima, that there would be thousands of people that would get saved. How are we preparing for that? Are we praying for people? Can we pray towards Easter? I mean, I think, about, I think about Restoration Church. We are nine months old, and I'm excited for nine months. We've had some tremendous things happen in nine months. And I think about outside of our launch, say, outside of our launch Sunday, our largest Sunday attendance was 150 people. What if we were took this serious, and what if we prayed for the salvation of our city? And what if we invited people to church? And what if on Easter Sunday, we blew that number out of the water? What if we took this call to love our city seriously and every one of us said, you know, I'm going to be a part of, of loving our city and seeing people come into a knowledge of, of the truth and get saved. I mean, what if, what if we did that? 
But the reality is people will go to church on Easter Sunday. Why don't every one of us be a part of it? Why don't every one of us be a part of that? I, I'm dreaming out loud. I mean, I, who knows? But I would love to see God. I'd love to see. I'd love to see this building packed out. Presenting the gospel that people would be saved. The lives would be changed. You know what the danger is, though? The danger is we sit in our seats. And, 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 and we think, oh, this is great. But this is for everybody else. Yeah, pastor, this is for you and, and for the leaders. You guys are supposed to invite all the people to church. And, and you'll share the gospel with them. And, and that's great. We want you to do that, pastor. No. My prayer is that each of us would be filled with God's heart. Each of us would pray in line with God's heart here. That God desires all to be saved. And that we would take that as our call to be a part of his mission. To be a part of what God wants to do right here. That his heart would become our heart. That we would realize that God loves your neighbors. That God loves your co-workers. That God loves your favorite barista at the coffee shop. That God wants to save them. Because unless God saves them, they're bound for hell. They're bound for hell. So we pray for people because God wants to save them. But there's another reason why we pray for people. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6. It says, that God who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, the second reason why we pray for people or why we are a people of prayer is because God wants them to know the truth. God wants them to know the truth. You say, well, what's the truth? The truth is this. It says, for there is, how many gods? There's one God. And there is, how many mediators? One mediator. I mean, this is, this is if you were at the eye doctor, this is the big E on the eye chart. This is the thing that we can't miss. If you miss this, you miss everything else. There is one God. You got to get that nailed down first. One God. There's not different gods. There's not other gods. There is one God. And there is one mediator between God and man. See, there's God, and then there's us. And there's separation between us and God because we sin. We say, we turn our backs and we say, God, I don't need to do things your way. I can do things my own way. I can be my own God. And I can do whatever I want to do. And we turn our backs on God. And Isaiah says, because of that, there, there, we, we become far from God. There becomes a distance between us and God. And now, here's what we need. We need a mediator. I mean, have you ever had a dispute with somebody? Right? I mean, anybody married? <laughs> you need a mediator. You need a mediator. I mean, when there's a confrontation, that's why we have a police officer. I mean, when there's a big confrontation, that's why we have a judge. In sports, that's why you have a referee. It's because when there is, a, uh, when there is a, uh, an issue, you need a mediator. Somebody who comes in and mediates the conflict. So there's God, he, he's holy and he's good. And then there's us and we're unholy and sinful. And we disobeyed God and we violated God's demands and decrees. And now there's separation. So we need a mediator. We need somebody who's going to work to this relationship out 
and bring it back together. So we desperately need a mediator. But you know what we do? Instead of a mediator, we try and put religion there. We don't need a mediator, we need religion. Or we don't need, we don't need a mediator, we, we need philosophy or psychology or self-esteem. But there is one God. And how many mediators? One. His name isn't Muhammad. His name isn't Buddha. His name isn't Oprah. Or his name isn't Dr. Phil. There's one mediator between us and God. The man, Jesus Christ. See, it's all about Jesus. It's always all about Jesus. Paul is saying here, it's all about people who God desires to be saved and Jesus Christianity is all about people and Jesus. Restoration Church, you know why we're here? People and Jesus. People and Jesus. Because of our sin, because people, which includes every one of us, because people are sinful, we are separated from God. And all of our attempts to please God and to, close, and to get closer to God, they're vain. They're just rubbish. They don't count towards anything. But the good news is that we have a mediator. We have a mediator who is willing to bring this relationship back into right standing between us and God. And that is Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. And this leads us to an obvious implication. And Paul just, just blurts it out in verse 7. Paul says, Paul says this. He says, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So here's the deal. As, God's, as we are to pray to God for all peoples, we are also to preach the gospel to all people. As we pray to God for all people, we're also supposed to preach the gospel to all people. Paul says, as I pray, I preach. As I pray, I preach. Paul is talking here specifically about God's call in his life, but the reality is, what he's talking about here has the application to all of us as followers of Jesus. It is the same application for Paul as it is for us. See, the more we pray for all kinds of people, the more we realize that God desires the salvation of all kinds of people. The more we pray for all people, the more we realize that God desires all people to know the truth. And the more we pray for all people, the more we realize that Christ died for the rescue of all peoples. And the more that we pray for all kinds of people, the more we are compelled to live for that which is the most important, for that which is ultimate, which is Jesus. And the more we pray for all people, the more desire to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with all people. Some of your translations... The ESV says, I was appointed a, a, a pastor. But some of your translations, including the NIV, they, they, they read this verse like this. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald. For this purpose, I was appointed a herald. That's not his name. He's saying, this is my job. I was a herald. A herald is an, an ancient, old ancient word from an old ancient world that didn't have Facebook. They didn't have the television. They didn't have cable TV. You couldn't just sit there and watch the news. So if you had something wonderful, if you had something catastrophic happen, if you wanted to get the word out to all the people, you would have to send a runner out into the street. And they would tell that good news, shouting it out so everybody could hear. 
Paul's saying, you know what? That's what I am. That is what I am. I run through the streets telling people the good news. Telling people that Jesus is God. That the tomb is empty. That Jesus has risen from the grave, conquering death, hell, and Satan. He's running through the streets saying, sin is forgiven. God is real. God loves us. We can belong to him. And this is his, he says, I have this great news for everybody. You know what the great news is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The great news is Jesus. This is what Paul's job is. He says, I'm a herald. I run through the streets telling everybody I can, Jesus, Jesus. Paul goes out and he beats the Jesus drum for the rest of his days. And as you go from here, you need to know that in this city, in the places where God has placed you, you are a herald. You are a herald of the gospel. You're going to go to work and to, to your school and your neighborhoods into places where people do not know Jesus. And you are to be a herald of Jesus in those places. Before you get there, you should be praying. You should absolutely be praying for their salvation. Pray for their hearts and pray for your life and your words. So so that you're kind and loving and gracious and patient to people, that you are like Christ when you go there, and that their heart is receptive. But you need to speak because a herald is worthless unless they speak. We are all called to be heralds of Jesus, to be heralds of the gospel. And Paul says this. He says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. See, doubt is real. If you aren't a Christian, or even if you are a Christian, doubt creeps in. Satan fills your mind and says things, is this really true? Is this a lie? It's not a lie. It's the truth. It's the most important thing in all of history. See, who is Jesus? He said he was, he said he was God. Is, he, is that true? Is that really true? He said he was sinless. Well, was he? He said he would rise from the grave. Well, did he? He said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one would get to the Father but through him. Is that true? Is that a lie or is that the truth? And you need to decide for yourself. You need to come to your own conclusion on the matter. But Paul says this. Paul says, I am not lying. And I would submit to you that we can take Paul's word and we can believe his testimony as true. Because Paul started out as a man who hated Jesus. Paul started out as a man who hated Jesus and murdered Christians for a living. And then he becomes a pastor. And he dies a brutal death because of the cause of Jesus. His life was spent in poverty and homelessness. Paul was in prison. Paul was beaten. He was hated and he was despised. And everybody thought he had lost his mind and that he was destined for the flames of hell. And the only reason that I can, I can understand as to why Paul would go from a hater of Jesus to, to uh, a worshiper is the fact that there's really, there's only one verdict. That is true. That is absolutely true. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, I had the doubt. I had the questions. But I saw Jesus risen from the dead. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying Jesus being God. Jesus being our only mediator 
between God and men. Jesus changing my life. Jesus saving people. He's saying it's the truth. It's absolutely true. See, God's desire is for every one of us that we would be saved, that we would come into a knowledge of this truth. And I want to invite you today, let's believe this truth. Let's absolutely believe this truth. As the worship team comes forward, I want to invite you this morning to connect with God however you need to. If you just need to close your eyes and spend time with God in prayer, seeking and pleading and repenting and wrestling with God, please take the next few minutes and do that. We want you to connect with him. If connecting with God this morning is responding through worship, then I invite you to join the worship team as we sing praise and worship to our mediator and to our savior. So I would, enjoy, I would invite you to join us over the next three songs as we respond to God's word this morning. As we say, God, this is what you've spoken. This is what you've said. Now, God, I want to respond. See, God's word says it will not come back void. God's word has been put out. And every one of us has a decision to make right now. Are we going to believe God's word? Since we're to be a people of prayer, let's pray right now. God, we thank you that you have ransomed us. We thank you that you sent Jesus to mediate between us and to you. God, it's our prayer that you would pour out your grace upon us as a church. And that through us, that grace would be extended to the city. And that the city would know who you are. That they would know the truth that there is only one God and there is only one mediator between God and man. <laughs> it's a man, Christ Jesus. God, I pray for those that are here today that are wrestling with these doubts. God, is this true? God, should I commit my life to it? God, I pray that they would know that it is true. I pray today that they would make that decision. Yes, it is. Yes, I believe it. Yes, God, I'm going to put those doubts out of my mind and I'm going to jump both feet in to following you. God, I pray for anyone in here today that has not come into a relationship with you, that has not received your salvation. Well, that today would be the day that they say, I don't want to be my own God. I can't, do, can't, I can't keep doing things my own way. God, I surrender to you. I submit to you. I invite you to take over my life and I will follow you. And you will be my God. And I will worship you. And I will follow you from this day forward. Jesus, we love you with all of our hearts. I pray that you would meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.